and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. I'm your host, Rohan, and with me today, I have Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. And we also have Aaron joining us. Thank you, guys. Great to be with you. Uh, first of all, we have a new release, which is 0.76, and we have some new features. The first one is uh, there's a new upgrade for the database that happens with this release. So when you upgrade to 0.76, uh, it may take a few minutes for Home Assistant to start up. The, the reason behind that is there's some database changes happening. One is for contexts and the other is for users. So now uh, moving forward as the new user authentication system becomes more integrated, we'll be able to see things like who actually turned off a light and or did an automation turn a light off and on or for those sort of reasons. Nothing really that you can use in the front end just yet, but just a heads up that when you do upgrade, just give Home Assistant a bit of time to start up. Some beta users were reporting upgrade times of around 15 minutes for about 30 days worth of data. I think by default, the recorder component stores 10 days of data. So yeah, yeah, obviously your mileage will vary and it depends on if you're using MySQL or SQLite and all that sort of stuff as well. So watch out for that one. Yeah. So if you, if you do have that problem, just wait it out and, uh, and hopefully that you should be, uh, you should be okay. So I'm I'm actually doing my update as we're recording the show. So we'll uh, we'll see. Ah, oh, that's a good test. We've got to time it exactly how long it took you, huh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that requires effort. So uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> that, that, what'll happen is that'll just distract me, and <laughs> I'll end up either forgetting to do the upgrade or forgetting to do the show. So <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> on that note, uh, let's talk about some some new features. So first up, we have a new platform called RIT Assist or Fleet Go. Um, so basically, if you subscribe to one of those two services, uh, and and as, um, those are fleet management services. So if you do subscribe to those services, uh, you can actually bring in certain details about the vehicle and, uh, and they kind of show up on the map too. So that's kind of neat. That's really interesting. So I guess it's sort of the pro version of those little car dongles that you can get added in. Yeah, like, so... They call the tracker or I can't remember what they're called, but they plug into that port in your car. Yeah, this I think be it's... obviously the next version up. I, I think this is more, again, corporate. So um, I was just looking on FleetGo's website. They have, again, it's all companies with fleets, right? Like DHL, for example, and, and a couple other customers. So, yeah, uh, right. so it, it's... To me, I, I actually have worked with a customer that does something something similar, um, I think they'd be a competitor to, the, uh, to these guys. And and essentially what they do is anybody with a large fleet, you know, kind of knowing information about that, you know, where are they? Um, for example, if you need to get a delivery on time, you know, how likely are they? Or a little weirder, if you can't find a truck or something, <laughs> where did it go? They they perform the, that kind of services. And from, from what I understand, that's, that's what they do. Oh, nice. And another pl- uh, platform that's been added in is Open UV Sensors. So now you can view current UV index, the max UV index for the day, the ozone level for where you are, and the safe sun exposure time for the various skin types you may have. Oh, interesting. That's actually kind of handy. Yeah, and now uh, Home Assistant can tell you whether or not you should wear sun protection at the current moment. So that that's really cool. So now before you leave for the day, you can have Home Assistant say, hey, put your hat on. Like, it's hot outside. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool if you have, uh, if, if you notice, maybe you have an automation where you open the door and it kind of yells at you going, hey, dork, make sure you wear a hat. 
uh, <laughs> or something along those lines. Exactly. Right. So that's uh, that's actually that's pretty useful. So I, I could see a couple of good uh, good uses for that as well. Or or you know even sending a notification, maybe you know at some point saying, hey, you know by the way, this is what the you should really wear you know sunscreen today or something like that. So also we have the uh, on phase envoy. So uh, component. So that's a solar energy monitor that we that they've uh, brought in to Home Assistant as well. So if you uh, if you're using solar energy, this is something, uh, and and you have the on-phase uh, dashboard, uh, I guess that uh, that you have access to. You can now bring that into Home Assistant. You know, make more intelligent decisions with uh, how you're utilizing your electricity. Hopefully, I'm not too familiar with this one, but assuming it gives you like, oh, you're producing a good amount of solar today, then maybe you could fire off automations based on that. You know, if it's really expensive to do uh, the run the dishwasher at night, maybe you could only run the dishwasher when you're outputting a certain amount of solar energy to get it for free exactly some cool automation like ideas like that maybe yeah there's uh so energy monitoring actually has some really good use cases a lot of people just think it's hey you know what great i my house is using you know i i don't even know how much an average house uses but uh my house is using you know whatever kilowatt hours or or what have you and and you know okay you can do a lot more interesting things i mean you, Phil, you use uh, an energy monitor to detect if your dishwasher or washing machine are on, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. So so there, there's some really good use cases and, and, you know, based on hopefully that'll save you some money too if, if you go down this route. So There's also a new media player component for the DLNA. So that's basically a standard for how some TVs or uh, network players can communicate over a local area network. We've now added support for uh, any devices that support that. It can be a bit tricky with some proprietary TVs. I think Sony was mentioned in the pull request. So uh, if you've got a DLNA-enabled TV or a media player on your network, you can now experiment with that with the media player component of Home Assistant. Yeah. So also we have the PJ Link uh, media player platform. So again, it's another uh, another media player platform. So in this case, it's specifically around projectors. So PJ Link itself is a protocol that uh, certain projectors use. Uh, I believe BenQ uses it, and uh, there may be some other ones as well. Um, so if your if your projector uses that, then uh, you can tie that into Home Assistant now, and you know have it do certain things. Nice. And the last new component for this release is the RMV public transport sensor, which is for the Rhein-Main area in Germany. I hope I pronounced that right. My apologies if I didn't. So yeah, another public transport sensor, which is always useful to have in Home Assistant. Yeah. On to some breaking changes. We have uh, support for a what looks like a IoT hub uh, called Decons. So if you're using that right now, uh, it has it has support for power plugs and such. But essentially, now they'll be they'll be brought in as switches instead of lights. So entities, you know, you'll see them as switch dot whatever entity ID uh, instead of light dot entity ID. Okay, that makes sense. A good, a good change to make, I guess. Yeah, because I mean... Well, annoying how- if you've already set up all your automations, but a global find and replace should fix that for you. Yeah, it, it makes more sense. Just, again, it's, it's going back to that whole let's standardize everything, right? So. Yeah. For example, power plugs. Well, I mean, if if I'm using a power plug for maybe a TV or something to save electricity, well, at that point, you know, that shouldn't really be a light, 
right? So Yeah, exactly. Another breaking change comes to the Kinetic NDMS2 routers. It's now going to be using Telnet instead of the web interface. So you may need to update your config if you've got a new IP address or a new username and password you need to update it too. So just if you're using a Kinetic NDMS2 router, make sure you watch out for that one. Yeah. I wonder if those routers have SSH because Telnet is kind of... Uh... It's very, like yeah, it seems a bit like an old technology to use. Yeah. And and that's obviously part of the, the device tracker platform, right? To see... Correct, yes. Hey, are you... Are you home? Are you connected or are you to the router home? or not? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, that's interesting. Also, if you're using the open weather map component, the we- the wind speeds are converted to kilometers uh, an hour now. As an Aussie that doesn't use miles per hour, I like that. Um, as a <laughs> Canadian who is also in that same boat, I also agree. <laughs> uh, Australian Telstra users, the Telstra SMS notification platform has been removed with this release. Uh, Telstra have upgraded their API from V1 to V2, but there's no support for the Telstra V2 API yet. That notification platform stopped in May, I believe, anyway. Uh, but this is just completely removing it from Home Assistant, so you can't accidentally try and integrate it, and it's not going to work. Also, Velbus. If you use Velbus, which is another uh, another hub, so you no longer need to specify modules manually in the config file. But if you load the Velbus component, it'll automatically load the switches and the binary sensors. Also, on top of that, the fan and light platforms have kind of been removed from, from Home Assistant since uh, really they're looking at modeling them for templates, right, from from the Velbus switches. Oh, nice. Okay. And Facebox no longer admits events for when a face has been taught into its system. They were unnecessarily, really. So, yeah, if you were relying on those Facebox events, they're not going to be in your logs anymore. Interesting. I wonder what what the use case for that is uh, for when it was... Because it's, it's specifically when a face is taught, right? So, yes, hey, I have yes. learned... Phil. Correct. I wonder what the use get. Maybe it's just put a notification out or something, but outside of that, I don't know. Well, I guess you're not going to really learn a new face too often. Um, some noteworthy updates in this release. Yes. Kodi Media Player platform now supports unique ID based on the discovery. Uh, that That's a good one. Uh, that'll give it, once again, adding things more to the standards. That way, entity IDs can be based on the unique ID that the Kodi platform provides, and they won't start switching around over restarts of Home Assistant. So that's a good update. That's neat. Uh, Also on vacuums, uh, Home Assistant now supports states. So that's cool. What's your vacuum actually doing right now rather than just like a, hey, turn it on. Because you've got one of those robot vacuums hooked up to Home Assistant, don't you? Uh, No. So I, and I'm kind of kicking myself because last minute I kind of cheaped out because the 900 series, this this is before the, the Roomba's all standardized on Wi-Fi. Oh, so this no. is when only the 900 series, which is like, uh, you know, in Canadian dollars at the time, I think it was 1100 or $1,200 or something like that. Uh, more than I wanted to spend on a vacuum cleaner, let me put it that way. Mm, yep. You know, I, I kind of put all my stuff together and I was like, okay, an 800 should suffice. And I think, and it was on sale uh, one day too. So I snagged it. So, you know, great, whatever. And then I was kind of, and then... A friend of mine, he has uh, he has the 900 series, and he has it hooked up to his Google Home, and he just kind of goes, "Hey, turn on the turn on the Roomba." You know, it just kind of does its thing, and then he goes, uh, "I forget what he says, but you know, go home or tell it to go dock or whatever." 
and it does that. And I was like, oh, I'm kicking myself. I really wish I had that because I, uh. I would probably use the Roomba a lot more. Because for, for whatever reason, my the timer on on the Roomba just doesn't seem reliable. Like when you say, oh, okay, turn on Mondays and Wednesdays at, you know, 3 p.m. or some of like that. Yeah, I, I've never quite gotten that to work, but I've I, admittedly, I, I tried it like once or twice and I was like, all right, it's not working. I'll just press the button. <laughs> so I experimented with a, a robot vacuum cleaner like you. I wasn't willing to pay the $1,000 for the, the Wi-Fi connected Roomba, especially yeah. when I wasn't sure how good a robot vacuum cleaner would be. So I got a, I think it was like a, either an RF controlled or infrared controlled Samsung robot vacuum cleaner okay and uh it basically just pushed dirt around my apartment my one bedroom <laughs> apartment at the time <laughs> so yeah it didn't last long but uh if you if you if you're really liking your robot vacuum cleaner i think the xiaomi vacuum cleaners which are supported in home assistant they're like 300 400 us and they they're actually got very good reviews yeah yeah i've seen those there, there's a few i have i have a friend that has a dbot uh, he seems to like it, um, and 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 same kind of. So there's there's definitely a lot more options now. Um, I think before it was like Roomba or one of the knockoffs that kind of push around the uh, push around the dirt, like you said. Right. Yeah. So so I, I definitely wanted it to actually clean the house. If I'm going to pay that much money, I'd, you know, it better clean the house. Um, but I, I do use it. It it's funny because I just ran it before before we started recording, and uh, I guess it finished in the. Uh, in in my in my home office, which is where my uh, my mic and my setup is, and yeah. so it's currently sitting under my feet, and I'm trying really hard not to press on the start button as I'm <laughs> as as we're recording this podcast. So it's uh, so if if you hear a you know beep and then a loud vacuuming sound, that's why. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it, though, is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Um, another noteworthy update uh, in 0.7.6 is for the Waze platform. Mm-hmm. There's now um, a switch has been added, allowing you to toggle on or off the real time or the normal average travel time for Waze. So Waze has a really good prediction method. It bases it on the current traffic, you know, how long is it going to take you, not just, you know, in like, you know, it's X kilometers away, it's going to take you roughly this time. It'll actually base it on the time of day and the amount of traffic it expects it to be there you can now tell the Waze platform don't worry about like what you're expecting the traffic to be just give me the average time or the normal time instead of it constantly polling for that you know what's the current traffic what's expected traffic to be yeah and and that's interesting because if i feel like like is there is there uh, uh and and i haven't looked this up but on Waze, 
is there a, a big API limit or something like that? Like why why wouldn't I want real time? And I haven't seen how it's. Uh, I haven't looked at the the ways docs uh, for this change specifically. But if you could have two ways sensors, you could potentially have um, one that's based on the traffic, and then one that's based on the uh, the normal average time, and then you could do a comparison. So if you know, traffic uh, adds an extra eight-minute delay. You could use maybe a template sensor in Home Assistant to work out there's an eight-minute delay from normal average traffic time because of, you know, mm-hmm. the traffic. And then you can maybe do an automation based on that, you know. If it's more than 30 minutes delay, maybe I'll take public transport today. Okay. That's kind of neat. Okay. that's mm. The only average. annoying thing about the Waze API for me is it's region-specific and they don't have an Australia ways api by looks of it oh really oh i didn't i didn't realize that so I, so each country or region or, or what have you yeah has, so has there's own. restricted regions yeah i believe it's um the u.s i don't I, i'm assuming canada would be as part of that north america u.s region yeah i would assume israel because i know i know ways was started out of israel i believe uh so they've got regions for europe u.s na which I would assume is North America. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. Which yeah, which does in the docs say equivalent to the US or IL, which may be Israel, as you just said. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, okay. unfortunately they're the only regions that are available at the moment. So hopefully they expand to that. So a couple of episodes ago, Aaron, uh when I turned the microphone on Rohan, we were talking about the uh parents situation, how he's automating his parents' house. You mentioned to me offline that you had done something similar. So I was wondering if you could share it with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So a while ago, um, my mom had reached out to me and said, you know, I, uh, they have a Nest thermostat. They, they got one after we did, and we kind of commiserated on how to use it the best. And um, she had been telling me that um, she wanted to uh, – she was finding basically the presence detection of the Nest uh, was not sufficient for what they wanted. So they might come home to a really cold house and then the nest would kick on and would say, you know, it would start to heat the house, but it, it would take a while. And it, she was asking, hey, is there a way to um, basically boost, I guess, the radius around their house so that maybe a mile away or two miles away, that's when it starts to kick on the heat or the air conditioning. And so I think it was actually she found an app after a lot of discussion, she found an app to do this, so just an iPhone app that sat in the background and communicated with the nest using a geofencing API and great, it worked great for a long time. And then I want to say about six months ago, maybe six months ago, it started really kind of having some issues. This The app would not work regularly. There were all sorts of like support tickets flooding in that weren't being answered. And uh, what ended up happening was the owner of this app was not actually a developer. There were, I guess, issues that he couldn't correct himself and he was finding it cost prohibitive to hire a developer to fix them. And so my mom came back to me and said, hey, you know, we still really like this. Is there a way that you can help us figure this out? And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to have to, like, write an iOS app, and this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And um, all of a sudden, it like, I just started thinking about it, and it clicked for me that I thought, hey, with, with Home Assistant, I could do this. Um, if I mix presence detection, you know, with the proximity component, which is a home assistant component to detect how far away the closest person is to a zone. And with the nest component, maybe we could homebrew something uh, 
that would work. And I started thinking about it and I, I actually shut myself down pretty quickly because I thought, you know what, my my mom is pretty technical. My dad isn't, but there's no way they're going to, you know, run like a raspberry pie somewhere. And oh man, what if it breaks? Like I'm going to, they live like an hour and a half away from You're going to be tech yeah. support. Yeah, I'm going to be tech support. <laughs> and then I thought, holy cow, hold on a second. I know that we at Home Assistant really like and promote local control, but think about this, Aaron. Um, if I used own tracks on their iOS devices, it, you know, own tracks, the proximity component, and Nest, all three of those didn't require local control. It could be the type of thing where I would have a Raspberry Pi at my house that would host uh, the Nest integration. It would host like an MQTT broker. It would do all that stuff. And then it could influence their Nest over the cloud. Right. Oh, that's interesting. And so, long story short, not to belabor the point, it took some time to get the automations correct. And um, I added in a few things like in addition to the proximity, uh, you know, changing of the thermostat, being able to manually override it. If they're coming back from the mountains, let's say, and they're, you know, 30 miles away and they want to start heating the house now, how to do that so that Home Assistant wouldn't get in the way later on. Uh, Long story short, I now in my little stack of Raspberry Pis, I have one dedicated to my parents that is um, that is acting as their proximity climate sensor. And it also sends them, uh, it replicates the functionality of the app that they had previously in that it sends them a notification anytime the thermostat gets set to away or home. And so uh, I can happily confirm that, but for a few hiccups related to my randomly unplugging the pie for whatever reason... <laughs> Um, everything is working, working well, they are none the wiser and they don't have to manage it all. So I think it's, it's great. Number one, that I could help my folks out, but number two, that, you know, as much as we love and cherish and desire local control, uh, that not having local control in this case didn't hinder me from a solution that I was able to support them remotely. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's important when local control, again, it it's, uh, there, there's a lot of pros and cons on this topic, right? And and in, and in this case, it's local control would be for you personally would be it sounds like more of a con than a pro. Where where if you have to right. play tech support, yeah. In this case, absolutely. Yeah. So you've yeah. basically created a, a home assistant as a service. Yeah, you, that's right. H A for, for your parents. You are the cloud. <laughs> yeah, a, um, there's three. I think there's three A's in there. That's right. I am the cloud. That's right. So I know I, I keep joking with my mom that I'm going to I'm going to have to raise her rates here at some point. I'm going to have to introduce a platinum support package. <laughs> and you've literally got the, you know, when something stops working, like, oh, who's kicked the network cord out on the in the cloud now? That's going to be you. Yeah. That's yeah, right. You've unplugged I something. I mean, yeah. truly, you know, it, I, I'm OK being IT in this case because you're right, Phil. If something has gone wrong, it's likely me who's made it gone wrong. Yeah, that's so you. Yeah, and so it's the nest that's all cloud based. So everything. So in your situation, it's lucky that your parents have everything cloud based anyway, and you're able to just use the cloud to influence their home. That's right. And now it would. I guess it would have been interesting to you know um, try the use case where maybe maybe there was some element that was only local, and could I do it in such a way that it was unobtrusive to my parents' life? I'm sure we could have figured that out. But yeah, in this particular case, it just it all worked out that everything they needed had sort of a cloud-esque component anyway. 
So really, I guess the only the only change they had to make they had they deleted that app, uh, you know, that stopped working off their phones, and I had them install own tracks so that it could do the presence proximity detection. But again, as long as they leave that running, which they they always do, they're they don't have to be any the wiser as to how this works. Yeah, and as long as your internet connection and your parents' internet connection stays active, yeah. you'll be fine. That's right. And I, that's, and I think that is part of my quasi-support agreement with my mom is that if the internet blows up, <laughs> I am not responsible. That's, that's, your, uh, that's your SLA in, uh, in writing there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No internet, no guarantee. That's funny. Have you, have you considered uh, putting maybe a VPN in between, uh, between your place and their place? I guess you don't really need it in, in, in this situation. Yeah, you know, that's a great point, Ryan. I, I have thought about that. My mom actually does something like that for my grandma, her mom, where they, they've got a, you know, remote access thing set up. And I, I, I thought about that. And I, I certainly would not be opposed to it. But in, the, in this particular case, I thought, man, if I could just if I could hold on to control of everything just in my own network, and not have to worry about how their topology is set up. Obviously, you know, my folks um, are like most people in that they just they have the the router and modem that their ISP gave them, and um, they're not networking people by any means. So, as much as I can retain the control and the isolation to my own network, that that in this particular case seemed like it was going to be less heartburn for either of us over the long term. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So, have you done anything, any other awesome stuff since we last chatted to you? Let's any see. Other? Any other awesome stuff? So, um, I was telling uh, Rohan offline. Um, I, I did a kind of a flurry of pull requests over the last, I would say, month and a half or so that are not very sexy. It's not anything anybody's going to notice per se. Um, I t- I went through all of my components and I made them all asynchronous. So. W- Real quick, there's a there's a concept, not just in Python. I guess it's in multiple languages now. But this idea of concurrent programming, where you you get the benefit of like a multi-threaded environment without needing multiple threads. Whatever it it makes it makes the code a lot more stable. It's a lot faster. So really, any of my integrations, Rain Machine, Air Visual, Pollen, the Yi Camera, Tile, they should all be now running a lot faster, smoother, and more consistent with the rest of the Home Assistant core. The other kind of thing that I have on my mind, I need to find a way to just jump in and do it. One of the the big things that's going on in Home Assistant core right now is this idea of configuration entries. Are you guys familiar with this? Yeah. Yeah, basically where um, like entity IDs can be pre-selected. Am I thinking the right thing here? That's right. So if you go into the configuration panel and then there's an integrations section, Paulus and the, and the crew have done a good job in the last few releases to add a lot more to this. So the idea here is eventually we don't want people to have to crack open a YAML file to configure a component. We want it to be through a GUI. And there's a framework in place for this now. So I think my next my next sort of task is I want to take a spin through all of my components, um, leave the YAML configuration in there for anybody who wants to use it. But for any newcomer who doesn't want to do that, be able to say, hey, I want to add a rain machine and then fill in the IP address, fill in some other parameters and hit save. And then it just configures itself for you. Oh, nice. Paulus is, I, I, we haven't really hit it hard, but I think he's really pressing the idea that that's the future. The future yeah. is getting away from YAML files, except for power users. So I'm trying to I'm trying to really button up my integrations as much as possible. I also I also selfishly I want my integrations to be viewed as like a good standard that other people can follow. So I'm trying to I'm trying to do whatever I can to add enough to them to make them that standard. 
hey, there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll tell you guys about, I'm, I'm uh, so having done the air visual and the pollen integrations, I've gotten a lot of requests uh, from friends who are outside the United States, outside of North America. Hey, I would love pollen information or allergy information. I would love air quality information that's you know consistent and useful. So I'm trying to, I'm doing a bunch of research on whether there's APIs out there for this type of thing or whether I can uh, cough, cough, go reverse engineer an app <laughs> that does it really well and, and use their APIs. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do an international allergy That's cool. component uh, here. At that some would point. be sweet. Uh, Could you look into something like, um, surely there's like a weather.com or any other like weather service that would aggregate that already. Could you then just pull the information out of them? Like they would get it from all these different places and then you can just suck it out of there. That I think that's the exact right way to do it, Phil. Even if I have to reverse engineer that, if I can find an aggregator. Mm. Um, so what I'd encourage, um, everybody, my, my username on discord is B A C H Y A. If you've got, if you've got a really good source for international allergy information, ideally not localized, ideally, you know, we don't have a component for the Netherlands and a component for Australia and whatever. Um, if there's an aggregator out there that you know about, um, that I just don't have my eyes on hit, hit me up and let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to find something that anybody in the world can use rather than just in specific locales. Yeah, that would be cool. Because otherwise you might have to go ahead and create a whole like platform or yeah. yeah, then you get no, you get many sensors to do the same thing and it gets a bit messy. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I one of the other you know things I've been thinking about, a lot of people ask, hey, I'd love to make a component and you know it's hyper localized. And that is another thing we think about is it doesn't mean it's a bad component, but we want to do things that are broadly applicable. So yeah, if anybody's got something that they think, hey, this this seems to be a good source of you know allergy data for a lot of countries, hit me up with it. I'd love to take a look at it. Well, we will leave contact details for Aaron in the show notes and also on the Has Podcast website, haspodcast.io. If you haven't had enough of the Home Assistant podcast for one week, we have another special episode coming out in a week's time. So watch out for that one. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your Home Assistant as a service. I really like that idea. That's right. That's right. H-A-A-A-S. That's what we're doing going And are you going to offer a monthly fee for everyone? And we can just have a little... That's right. That's right. I will have at least 10 different tiers of support packages and we can find one that fits your budget. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.